that was really sweet. Little Sawyer made a little care package for me. Not saying you should do the same, but you could. We all have something to learn from the children among us, you know. Just saying. That is really, really sweet. Uh, we are in the middle of a series called Understanding the Spiritual Journey. I've taught this series before, it's one of my favorites. What we do is we look at the life's journey by focusing in on each decade, looking at what are the major spiritual challenges that confront us during that decade, and then seeking Scripture's wisdom on how to move through that decade in a way that is obviously wise, but how to move through that decade with the power of God. And I think already we're learning that um, this series is really helpful for us to kind of help put some puzzle pieces together of our own journey, begin to see the hand of God and how he's used different decades in our lives to shape us. And I hope that if you're in the decade that we've been teaching through, that it's also brought some clarity to you, maybe some relief of I'm not the only one, or this um, really, really helps me to kind of get my bearings, and also motivates you to understand why it's so important to be building your life around the person and message of Jesus. So we're going to be looking at the 20s today. Paula Darcy says the 20s is a decade that, generally speaking, is about saving the world. It's about big, bold initiatives, big, risk-taking steps of faith, a lot of excitement. A lot of big decisions are happening in this decade, from 20 to 29. Decisions around marriage, career, whether or not to buy a house, certainly to move out of the house maybe, start having a family, where to live, where to set down roots. Those are all decisions that come to the forefront during this decade. And because of all those major decision points, the de- 20s are a decade with a, where there becomes a greater and broader diversity amongst our peer group. Up to this point, everyone in our peer group has more or less been in the same stage of life, working through the same issues, facing the same challenges. But in the 20, paths begin to diverge, even though ages might stay the same. This is a decade where you can have friends who are single, dating, engaged, married, and married with children, all within your friendship group, and that can change within the span of two or three years. You can have friends who are finishing school, others who are already firmly established within a career, and others who are unemployed and completely directionless. And so people in their 20s are beginning to have to deal with the kind of consequences, good and bad, of people's decisions. And everyone is starting to feel slightly more isolated because the group of 10, where we were all in the same boat together, now is whittled down to three groups of three who are in different kind of boats. And we're all kind of friends, but it's kind of weird because now that they're over here, they've moved here, or they've had kids, it does create some distance and some alienation. The 20s is a a time where our personal sense of agency and power often peaks. Um, It's not uncommon for people, certainly earlier in their 20s, to kind of be, I'm I'm healthy, I'm educated, I'm full of energy, I'm starting to come into a sense of my talents and my skills, so kind of watch out world, here I come. It's a decade with a dizzying amount of opportunities, There's so much choice of what to do, and relative to the rest of life, so few commitments holding those in their 20s back that 
those in their 20s can often talk about just having a sense of option paralysis. There's so much that they could do, it's hard to actually pull the trigger on any particular thing, especially in a culture that, via social media, where we're constantly seeing how other people being involved in things is turning out for them in a very positive way. And what I mean by that is, there's 20 options ahead of me in terms of what I could do, and, and what do I want to do? I'm not really sure. I'm overwhelmed. I could see this working. I could, I could see that not working. I don't know. Maybe I'm going to go here. But once I decide to kind of begin putting energy in this area, I immediately begin to experience FOMO, fear of missing out. If I go here, then I don't get to experience this. So I'm going to try and go over here too. Oh, and so there's this, all this anxiety that gets created from this abundance of choice. And so the 20s is a time, increasingly in our culture, that is defined by people kind of grasping to try and drink in and take in as much of life as possible. Maybe the word that best describes this decade is adventure. So what are the major spiritual challenges of the 20s? Well, if we think about, if we kind of look at the big picture and ask ourselves what's happening in the 20s, I would say that probably the best metaphor that we can come down to is, this, is, is that of you are building a foundation for your life. Up to this point, you've been given some tools via childhood and the teenage years. You've been given some resources, but it's really in your 20s where the onus begins to fall on you to begin putting all of that together. In a, co- in a coherent way. The 20s are a time where we're trying to build a foundation for the rest of our life. If you think of life as a house, you start with a foundation to a home, and that's what often defines the decade of the 20s. You're an adult now, whether you want to be or not. And being an adult comes with all kinds of rights and all kinds of freedoms, but it also comes with all kinds of new responsibilities. And up to now you've experienced a disproportionate amount of the rights and privileges, but increasingly you are going to have to face the responsibilities that come with those things. Especially as you move into decisions around career and marriage, where to live. And so whether or not 20-somethings are consciously asking this question, this should be at the front of their mind. That question is this, what am I building with my life? What, what kind of home, what kind of life do I intend to build? Maybe to this point, there's been a bit of a very casual, loose, I have a, kind of a vague picture, and I'm just kind of taking life as it comes to me. But that posture, in general, is no longer going to work as you move into your 20s. It's no longer going to be fruitful. Now is a time where you're going to have to begin charting. You're going to have to kind of move from a vague picture to a bit of a blueprint and decide, what am I building? Why am I building? What am I building for? So questions like, what am I doing? Where am I going? What's God's will for my life? Those questions come to the forefront during our 20s. And, and they come to the forefront with a greater level of individual vulnerability Because in your 20s, you begin to recognize that you are transitioning out of the protected stages of childhood and adolescence. So you can ask these questions, you can take steps in these directions, 
but some of those safety nets are no longer there. So, the, so the, the risk seems higher. The vulnerability seems higher. These stop becoming abstract, dreaming. Um, um, these, these stop being kind of ideas that we're just kind of playing with and, yeah, kind of need to think about to this is my life now. I need to put foundations to these ideas. So the 20s are a decade where we're moving from theory to practice from what seems like a good idea or what looks right on paper to in the real world, how do I begin to manifest this? How do I begin to make this real? And one of the key questions that those in their 20s have to ask themselves is, am I going to take the necessary risks? Am I going to do the necessary work? Am I going to expose myself to the required vulnerability that adulthood requires? Or am I going to retreat and retrench into an extended adolescence? That is the key question that 20s need to address. Now, on the ground level, a lot is happening as 20-somethings are deciding whether or not they're going to build a foundation, if so, what the foundations look like, what their home looks like, what their house looks like, and I'm speaking here metaphorically about their life. The 20s are a decade where our habits and practices around things like faith, friendship, money, career, they take on increasing significance in our lives. We have tremendous freedom, but that means we're untethered from some of the support systems that could prevent us from shipwrecking our lives. So we have to be a lot more... uh, careful and wise about how we're using our time, how we're using our money, what we're choosing to say yes to, what we're choosing to say no to. 20s are a time of wrestling with faith and transitioning into full ownership of your faith. It's no longer an inherited faith from your parents. It shouldn't be. You are now getting exposure to lots of different worldviews, maybe lots of different views even within the Christian uh, faith on issue X or issue Y. Different philosophies are beginning to collide at this time. And this is often a period where those who have kind of kept faith as an accessory to their life, they drop it completely. In the States, you'll always hear, in Canada, well, in the Western world, you'll hear about the rise of the nuns, not the Roman Catholic nuns with the habit, but N-O-N-E-S, the nuns, people who say, I identify with no religious affiliation, and how that's on like a huge upswing on progressive censuses that are taken. And that's because people in their 20s feel more emboldened now to say, you know what, this was never my faith. I don't really think I believe this stuff. I'm just dropping it. And then for others, of course, it's a time where maybe they were kind of casual in their relationship with God, but they think, I'm actually really going to go after this. I want to understand what I believe. Do I really believe this? And And they begin seeking and searching and finding the treasures of the gospel, and then double down into Jesus and his kingdom. But increasingly, the 20s are defined by a pretty strong either-or along those two lines. You're not going to find too many people in their 20s who I would call nominal Christians. Yeah, Jesus is kind of neat, and I go to church once in a while. It tends to be, I'm taking this seriously, and I've taken ownership of it, or it pretty much means nothing to me. It's a part of my past. It was a phase. uh, But it really doesn't shape my life, so to speak, now. 
there's new practices, new challenges just around following Jesus practically that begin to emerge for Christians in their 20s. You are often now in a situation where no one is keeping you accountable, looking over your shoulder in terms of are you doing your daily devotionals? Are you praying? Are you um, involved in a local church? Are you reading scripture? Are you serving? There's also new challenges that emerge as we're learning to follow Jesus, maybe later into the decade, once, if life does begin to settle and maybe we get married um, or we start a career and that brings a certain amount of structure and limitation to our life, maybe we get home or start renting, living on our own, and life just begins to take on a certain schedule and a certain rhythm, and that can lead some people to a bit of a crisis of faith in the sense of, my life just feels really ordinary all of a sudden. And what does it look like to follow Jesus radically amidst a nine-to-five job and changing diapers and grocery shopping and chores and doing everything I can just to get here on Sunday and being tired. I mean, what does it look like to follow Jesus amidst ordinary, regular uh, life? And for the first time, maybe not the first time for everybody, but I think for a lot of people in their 20s, from what I can gather pastorally, the 20s is a time where you have to begin, where you, life confronts you with some of your first pretty significant disappointments. And so part of what you're having to confront is, oh, maybe life doesn't just keep unfolding the way that I thought that it would in my mind's eye. What happens when the script, uh, you know, in, in a sense, the, 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 the movie of my life goes off script and I face a major disappointment or a roadblock? We get to the end of our 20s and we're still single. That wasn't part of our plan. We get to our mid-20s and I still don't really have a sense of vocationally and career-wise what I'm supposed to be doing. And I feel embarrassed by that or I feel frustrated by that. Maybe we experience a new season of spiritual apathy. Maybe we encounter some kind of tragedy in our life. Maybe a health issue that we say, this wasn't supposed to be part of the script. And here it is. So dealing with disappointment with God and learning to, learning to wrestle with God through that is often a feature of the 20s. Learning to live with the disenchantment of life and learning to realize, oh, this romantic, idealized version of faith and life that maybe I was holding to, when that doesn't happen, how do I move forward? Not out of bitterness, but also actually moving forward. How do I get past that? Let's talk about the Bible and those moving through their 20s. Like I said, 20s are a time about establishing foundations for our lives. And Jesus says something very important about the foundations that we build in Matthew 7, verses 24 to 29. This is the conclusion to the Sermon on the Mount, which is the longest recorded section of teaching we have in any historical record of Jesus. He's taught on the nature of the kingdom, the ethics of the kingdom, the pattern that true discipleship to him is going to take. And then he closes these, this extended teaching with these words. Therefore... So in light of everything that I've just said, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. 
The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it didn't fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. And the rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not like their teachers of the law. So out of that passage, I see at least four things that to me translate into direct counsel for those who are moving into and through their 20s. The first piece of advice that I would give to those in their 20s is to build. First thing we should draw our attention to is Jesus' teaching here presumes that everybody in this story is building something. And by inference, Jesus is trying to communicate to us everybody's building a house. Everybody's building a life. Even to not intentionally try and build a life is to build a kind of life. Everyone is building something. Earlier in Matthew 7, Jesus says there are ultimately two roads you can walk down. And he removes from the equation people's ability to say, well, I'm not walking down either. Or I'm walking down a different road. Jesus says, no, there are two roads. One's narrow, one's broad. One leads to life, one leads to destruction. And here he's saying there's ultimately, kind of in rabbinic fashion, where they, uh, rabbis would often bring things down to a black or white, right or wrong choice in order to press the issue to say, ultimately, there's two kinds of lives that you can build. There's two kinds of homes. And the 20s are a decade where you begin to try and manifest, make real your values and your identity. And you, you are building your house in the 20s. You are building your life. And that means, I think, what you need to do is take stock of that and, number one, you need to kill apathy. You need to just kill apathy. Apathy is going to cut the legs out from under your building project. You, you are going to build something. Build something worthwhile and something good and something beautiful. You need to reject cynicism. That, oh, there's no point in building or this house is going to end up being terrible or uh, I don't know how to build. You need to reject all of that. And you need to start building into something greater than yourself. Now, maybe during the 20s, you might find yourself struggling to build, generally speaking. You might find yourself hesitant to kind of get out there and start taking some risks because you're thinking, I don't really know exactly what I'm supposed to do. So, so then what you'll do, uh, and, and, and it could be pious, but it could also be a, a pious expression of cowardice, is you might begin to say, I'm going to wait for God to tell me what to do. So I'm just going to be so spiritual, I'm just going to wait upon the Lord and wait for his direction and guidance because I'm going to wait for a door to be opened and I don't really know where to start. And so I'm going to wait for God to tell me, you know, the steps that I need to take. Now, I'll be the first to say God uh, can and certainly may give you a lot of um, proactive direct direction and guidance, whether through a friend, maybe through 
time of prayer, you have a really strong impression via the Holy Spirit, that may happen. I don't think that's a good um, foundation, so to speak, upon which you decide how and when to move forward. And this is why I say that. Um, God is often talked about in Scripture, and the Holy Spirit's role is often a role of guidance, of directing us along paths. But that presumes something. That presumes that we're moving. I often say to those in their 20s, God cannot steer a parked car. And a lot of people in their 20s are a car that's parked or in neutral, and they're saying, for sure, when God takes the wheel or when he says, go down this path, then, then I'll do it for sure. And until then, I'm just going to idle. That is not biblical Christianity. That's not faithful discipleship. Faithful discipleship says, as far as I can tell, this is a wise, good decision that lines up with who I am and my values and where I want to go. And I'm going to start driving. And as I do, I'm going to give God permission to redirect me. We are not spiritual if we set the sailboat of our lives and set the anchor down and to say, I'm not going to take up anchor until God tells me exactly the course that I'm supposed to take. That's, that's not humility. I don't think that's piety. Again, I think 99 times out of 100, that's cowardice, descri- um, wearing a, a spiritual cloak. I think we take up the anchor, we begin to sail in a direction that broadly seems good and God-glorifying, and we say, God, Holy Spirit, direct me. And then we learn through prayer, talking to other people, reading the Word, to allow God to course-correct us. We need to build. We need to do something. We need to take action. I think we have too many people in their 20s who are waiting for something else to happen. And God will honor us taking that first step into the darkness, so to speak. It's a step of vulnerability. It's a step of faith because we don't know where it's going to go, but we need to build. So the first thing we need to do is to build. The second thing that we need to do is to build upon Jesus. Jesus himself makes that really clear. In your 20s, you're going to decide to give authority in your life to someone who's going to tell you what building the right house and the right life looks like. You are going to give someone authority in your life. It might be yourself. It might be a guru, a collection of mentors in your life, but you are going to get building instructions from someone. And what Jesus is challenging us with is the question, who are you getting getting your blueprints from? Because there's lots of people out there that will give you advice on how to build your house, how to build your life. Not all of it will be nefarious or evil or mean-spirited, but Jesus makes the distinction between anybody else's voice and his own. Anyone who hears my voice and puts it into practice is like a wise man. Anyone who hears my voice and ignores it on the advice of someone else, they're a fool. Jesus makes a stark division between building upon him and building upon anyone else. Anyone who hears these words of mine Notice that he says, anyone who hears these words of mine, first of all, are we even listening to Jesus? Are we, are we even listening? You have to hear the words of Jesus first. Saturating yourself in the Gospels. Learning to take time to pray, to reflect, to journal, and to say, Jesus, guide me. I want your words to seep into my life and into my heart. 
If you're in your 20s, this should be a time where you are just going through the Gospels over and over and over again. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John on repeat. Listening to them when you're driving, listening to them when you're falling asleep at night, you know, reading them, just taking them in, feeding on them. Because the, the decision point in your 20s is really going to be, is Jesus going to be the center or the circumference of your life? Is he going to be the sun or Pluto? Kind of, it's, he's out there somewhere, for sure. I even consider him part of my galaxy, but he's not central. Jesus says, you need to build on me. You need to build on me. Not just build, but build on me. I thought this would be a good time to have someone share who I really see is seeking to build not just a life, but is seeking to build their life on Jesus. I'm going to invite Robin Edgar to come up. Robin is back from a pretty major adventure in YWAM. And I asked Robin to share this morning because she's someone who I think is sincerely and authentically wanting to figure out what does it look like to build your life on Jesus. And so I'll kind of throw open the questions to Robin, and then she's going to respond. So I asked Robin to share, first of all, why did you decide to go to YWAM? And then share some of the ups and downs of your time there, because I know you experienced a lot of both. And then how do you think your life has changed as a result of your YWAM experience? So what sparked my interest in doing a discipleship training school originally was hearing a lot of my friends who had gone and hearing their experiences there and seeing the change in their lives and and how they are striving after Jesus. Um, In June 2015, I got baptized. I knew I had a relationship with Jesus, but I didn't love myself, and I didn't really see my life as anything valuable or of high purpose. Um, I knew these thoughts were not biblical and not what God wanted for me. But I couldn't seem to break away from those lies. In the months after my baptism, God kept telling me he wanted me to take some time away and go work on our relationship. And through a variety of positive and negative circumstances, the opportunity to do a DTS with YWAM came up, and I jumped in. So some ups. Uh, I loved lecture phase. Uh, Every week, I learned who God is and who I am a little bit more, and his love for me and his love for all people. Um, I love the process of being refined by the Father, as difficult and not fun as it can be, sometimes being broken and built back up again. Um, But refining leads to such growth and purpose. And I loved living in a community surrounded by young Christian people motivated and striving towards the same thing as me, intimacy with God some downs, also living in community. (laughs) It's really hard. Uh, Living in a tiny room with three other girls and only one shelf in a drawer to keep all your stuff in for three months is uh, kind of challenging and not ideal. Um, And not having any space to be alone and recharge was hard as well. But I learned so much through living in community that I can take into the rest of my life, like dealing with conflicts when they arise how to be really well organized, and how much stuff you really need to live comfortably. It's a lot less than I thought. Um, So the last question is, how do you think your life has changed as a a result of your YWAM experience? Um, The main 
thing God taught me on DTS was dependency, and that dependency is the foundation of abundant life. So I came up with this little equation, and it's dependency leads to trust, trust leads to intimacy, intimacy leads to identity, and identity leads to purpose. So living a life of independency from God is pointless and empty. It's only through living a life of dependency that we get to experience the abundant fullness of life God has for each of us. Intimacy with God comes from a trust relationship with him, which happens when you live solely dependent on him and nothing or nobody else. It's only through intimacy with God that we can learn of our true identity and purpose and just how much value we hold. Now I know who I am, a daughter of the king and a co-heir with Christ, and I am valuable enough for God to send his only son to die in my place. It's a huge price he had to pay for me, and that's how much he wanted me. And I don't need to strive to be victorious over the lies. I know that I already can live fighting from victory because Jesus took back all authority on earth when he died on the cross. Knowing how valued and loved I am, and knowing that all people are equally valued and loved by God, it changes the way I see and love other people. What I learned at YWAM has definitely changed my life, but more importantly, what I have learned will continue to change my life. I will keep striving for growth in my knowledge of God and my relationship with him for the rest of my life. Thank you. God, thank you for Robin and for others like her within this community who are taking steps to um, pursue you and to seek you with all their heart, to leave kind of casual Christianity and nominal Christianity behind them. And would you, in this new season as she returns here, would you open up new opportunities for her to grow in you, to learn about you, to continue to build that intimacy? And may you make her a force for good uh, and a force for your kingdom here as, as she reestablishes roots here. Jesus' name, amen. Great. Thank you. Thanks for sharing. So we want to build. We want to build upon Jesus. <clears throat> and, and, and let me say, to build is to risk. Whether it's something like signing up for YWAM or applying for that job or initiating a date, those are risks, and they require vulnerability. And increasingly in our culture, we are providing more and more options for people who want to avoid risk and avoid vulnerability. We can avoid relational vulnerability through destructive avenues like pornography. We can avoid uh, vocational responsibility through avenues like video games. We can avoid all manner of responsibility and vulnerability through drug or alcohol use, all kinds of consumptive habits that are, again, rooted in our fears to face the challenges of adulthood and move into them in spite of our fear. I was thinking about a quote from a book I was reading last year where a son asked his father, can a man still be brave if he's afraid? To which the father says, that is the only time a man can be brave. That's the only time you can be brave is when you're afraid. The 20s is that time to recognize, I am scared of this. What if this doesn't work? This is a risk. Before following Jesus felt pretty safe because there was a safety net. There was plans B, C, D. If I step out in faith here, what happens if God doesn't come through? I'm scared. That's the time where faith needs to eclipse our fear. 
where we need to be cultivating a relationship with God, where we know in our bones, even though we can't see the path, we know that God is going to be there, that God is our refuge and our strength in times of uncertainty and trouble. Notice that Jesus says, the wise man is the man who hears my words and puts them into practice. doesn't just agree with them. Neat ideas, totally. No, he begins putting them into practice. Now, you're going to do this in, if you're in a small group this week. You're going to go back and just review very quickly the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And you're going to look at the things that Jesus said that you were called to practice. You're going to look at the things that Jesus said to prioritize as a follower of him. And you're going to notice some things that are there that you're like, oh, I didn't actually realize that was there. But you're going to notice a lot of things that aren't there that you might have presumed that they were there. Jesus never talks about things like pursuing safety, comfort, financial wealth, instant gratification, security, worldly success. Not a part of his Sermon on the Mount. But he's teaching us how to keep God's kingdom and his righteousness center, his priorities. So he does say things like, love your enemies mourn, fast, pray, give. Don't be obsessed with material possessions. He's reframing and teaching us what true blessing and true abundance looks like. And so as you look through the Sermon on the Mount, and as you begin to put Jesus' words into practice, we also have to understand that if we're building our foundation on Jesus— that likely means we're, the, our foundation isn't um, I don't know how to say it. The foundation isn't our best life now. That foundation isn't the North American, the American dream, so to speak. There's nothing necessarily wrong with those things. It's just that isn't the foundation that Jesus is going to lead us into. The goal around which everything falls into its proper place, we talked about this a few weeks ago, is seeking first God's kingdom and his righteousness, and then all these other things will be added to you as well. How do you build upon Jesus? Just really quickly, uh, pray, read scripture, seek counsel, and then do something. Unless you have a really strong sense that you're not supposed to do something, just experiment, do something, and let God course correct. Any decision in your life, big or small, pray about it, seek scripture, ask wise Christian counsel around you, and then make a decision. Pull the trigger. Do something. And then course correct as out of your experiences. The third thing we need to do is we need to build with diligence. We need to build. We need to build on Jesus, and we need to build with diligence. And that means working hard, challenging yourself, creating goals. As a new pastor in the Evangelical Covenant Church, in, in the vocational excellence course I just took, I had to write a four-page life rule, which was a breakdown of what were going to be my discipleship and biblical priorities along all kinds of lines, my finances, in my marriage, with my kids, to my church, with my community. And I had to write four pages, and I had to really link it to Scripture and link it to my own experiences. You should be doing that in your 20s. I wish someone early on had said, you need to write, write a life rule. You need to begin getting clarity on the kind of house you want to build. If you want a template for how to do that, you can email me. I'll email you the template they gave me, and you can start working on it. But if that is something that now I try and review at least once a month and say, this is the life that I'm trying to build, that's grounded in Scripture, 
and in my best moments, this is what I want to be pursuing with my life. This is what I want to be prioritizing. And then I'm working hard at that. It's not just good advice. I'm really trying to dig into it. Right? You can build a house where you have a foundation and you just start throwing bricks on top of each other and kind of hope that rooms materialize and it kind of works out. Or you can say, no, I'm going to build diligently. I'm going to work hard and make sure that I'm doing things right. And that comes to the last point. You need to build strategically. You need to build strategically. Jesus says, everyone builds. You can listen to my words and build on that. You cannot. And from the outside, someone might look at those two houses and say, oh, they're very similar. They look totally the same. What will differentiate the houses is when the storms of life come. Not if, but when they come, which house stands? Which life can withstand the tribulation of this world? Jesus says, if you build on me, then you're going to build a life that's going to be able to withstand, not avoid storms or floods or high winds that beat you, but you will be able to build a life that you will be able to withstand those things. And so are you willing to take the time to build well? Because how you build now will have implications for the rest of your life. And building strategically is very important now. Building a strong foundation means a lot of tough decisions. Because if you picture your life as a collection of energy squares, let's call them energy squares. I have 10 energy squares out of which to live my life. That's my capacity as a human being. When I was living my life as a teenager, I only needed one of these to kind of have moderate health and vibrancy in an area. Here's my friend one. Here's my devotional one. Uh, Here's school. So on and so forth. The kind of investment, the kind of money, time, energy, and intentionality that it takes to have healthy friendships in your 20s is not the same as it was when you were a teen. It's now too. And the amount of time and energy and investment that it takes now in your 20s to build and establish a career as opposed to just go to school and get stuff done, that's three. And that means when you were a teenager, you could do lots of different things. And there was generally a fruitfulness from it. But very quickly in your 20s, you will find out you will not be very fruitful if you try and continue to invest in 10 different things. Now, maybe you're a high-capacity person, and you've got 15 energy squares. Ooh, you're still going to run out, though. You're still going to have to make tough decisions around, I have limited capacity, so I need to build strategically. If I want to not just be married, but to have a thriving marriage... There's going to be areas like your beloved video game square. Nope, not anymore. Your, your, your triple square of fun in the sun and recreation. They're spoken for now. Your, 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 uh, your fin- the financial margins that came from having a lack of responsibility. You had lots of Heather and I joke how much money we wasted on movies and eating out and stuff when we were in our, like, 
early, early marriage years. If we want to build strategically on Jesus, a life that's going to withstand, those margins are going to get absorbed in something else. So you begin to take, face pretty tough decisions in your 20s. And again, that's why it's so important to be listening to Jesus, paying careful attention to where he tells you to invest your limited time, energy, and money, your capacity as a person, and then trust him to do it. But saying yes to that is going to mean saying no to other things. And I think that's often what leads to the option paralysis in the 20s, because people in their 20s realize, if I'm going to really try to make, a, make something of it over here, I'm going to have to say no or goodbye to this over here. And that is life. That is discipleship. The enemy of the best is usually not the worst. The enemy of the best is often the good. There's often 10 good things we could spend our time doing, but in order to do our top four priorities to the best and most God-glorifying way, we need to say no to six things that are good. And that process starts in your 20s. How can we as a church support those in their 20s? Three words. Celebrate them. Pastorally, I often hear from people, not in this church, but I've heard in different contexts. We love having people in their 20s. Great energy, but they don't really contribute a lot financially. Is that kind of a dark cloud over the 20s? Now, I've been involved in many ministries, many churches, where I'm very confident uh, many of those in their 20s were outgiving those in their 40s and 50s. That's a sermon for a rant for a different time. But we should be celebrating the 20-somethings within our community. We should be celebrating the fact that of all the stuff, all the voices that they've listened to of what they should priority, what they should prioritize, on some level they said, I might not know all the reasons for it, but I think that prioritizing the local church should get at least one of these. That's big. Some of them are even saying, I think the local church should get this. Time, energy, and you know what? I'm going to start to learn to give too. That's big. We should celebrate that. That's really, really important in a world where it's becoming more and more easier to live a very self-centered, closed-off life. So we should celebrate them. We should pray for them, and we should invite them into leadership opportunities. And this is all of our responsibility, not just the leadership of the church in every sphere where we are, we should be looking for ways to invite those in their late teens and into their 20s into leadership responsibilities. Maybe not fully, but we have them tracked with us. We invite them into conversations. We get their opinions on things. We force them to work through issues, okay? We're thinking about doing this. What do you think? How would you approach it? Get them exercising those muscles. We let them know we are beginning to see uh, there's, there's trust there, there's evidence of growth there, and we want to begin to appropriately uh, hand over authority to them so that they can step into their giftings in a new and significant way. So I'm going to close in prayer now. But for those in your 20s, my encouragement for you would be to build, 
to start taking action, but to build on Jesus, to build diligently, and to build strategically. And as you do, you will begin to experience the blessing and abundance of God. Let's pray. God, for those in their 20s that are here, who are listening, may you just move them into a space where they are saying yes to you. And that their faith is overcoming fear. Uh, Joy at the prospect of serving you is overcoming hesitancy. May you continue to empower them by your spirit to live faithfully for you. And for those of us outside of the 20s, God, may we be an encouragement to them. May we celebrate those you've brought in our midst here at this church, and may you give us eyes to see ways for them to be involved in helping to not just attend here and be a part of this community, but to shape this community through leadership and through their voice and through the gifts and talents uh, and spiritual gifts you've given them. In Jesus' name, amen.